We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here, as always, with Jason Pat. We're brought to you by BetOnline.ag. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. we got a special episode today during our quarantine podcast. One of the most influential writers, basketball writers of my career, certainly, and someone who's been doing great work on the internet for like two decades at this point, Kelly Dwyer is here with us to talk about the Dynasty era Chicago Bulls. Uh, Kelly, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's it's wonderful to be influential. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Kelly is writing a newsletter now called The Second Arrangement. You can subscribe to that on Substack. It's really awesome. The most recent story he did, which I want to start off with, was titled brilliantly, The Top 55 Knicks Michael Jordan Scored On. <laughs> and it comes with a 16-minute podcast. It's Kelly sitting there with a guitar, playing some tasty licks, talking shit about how John Starks was 6'2", 6'1", 6'0". He keeps getting shorter and shorter. The more turnaround jumpers, MJ drains in his face. And uh, on the podcast version with that newsletter, you're watching the double nickel game from 1995. believe that was MJ's fifth game back coming out of retirement. So I kind of wanted to start with that, Kelly, because... uh, I'm sure you remember, you know, the whole saga of being a Bulls fan for a long time like you've been, the whole saga of Jordan retiring uh, and then coming back to the team in 1995. So I'm just curious, like, as someone who was a little bit older than me at the time, you probably recall this better, uh, what was that whole scenario like? Uh, you know, were you surprised when Jordan finally came back? Was it rumored for a while? Uh, and then what do you remember about that Knicks game just in terms of, like, 
you know, the first game Jordan came back against the Pacers, I think he was like, he took 28 shots and scored 19 points. He wasn't very efficient. But that fifth game back against the Knicks, I mean, that was just like pure MJ in every way, even though he had the 45 on his back. So, Yeah, I mean, he couldn't jump. So there was that. That part was different. <clears throat> it's It's remarkable. I'm watching these games. And he has no legs. He just, it's not, he's tired. It's just, it's a whole different sport, this basketball sport. And uh, he hasn't played it for a while. Was the, the, the return was not a surprise. Because as soon as it became obvious the strike slash baseball lockout uh, was going to kick spring, uh, spring training in the butt, it was obvious, everyone knew, they'd been banning about on like sports talk radio, that he was not going to, Cross the picket line. He was not going to scab. He was not going to be a replacement player, as they said back then. Now, I had no problem with the replacements. Fine band. In fact, I was paying way more attention to the replacements back then than I was NBA basketball because Michael Jordan was not playing it. So I don't mean to be a front runner. I watched a few Bulls games that year. Uh, I thought I was pronouncing Bushla correctly. And I and Jordan just kind of, yeah, it, it, it was a very uncool thing to do. But it was absolute appointment television, even if you knew it was going to be him not jumping great, even if you knew that he doesn't shoot well at the United Center and that Orlando was way better than him. Or it was, it, there wasn't an, ex- I was almost surprised when the big game against Indiana happened. And then I woke up on that Monday morning just like, when's the next game? When's the next game? Oh my God, oh my God. And no one else was doing it. Sporting world included, like no one was 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 falling over themselves to look forward to that Celtic game, which I think was on Wednesday. So the Nick game was like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> like this is what the Knicks are not as good as they were defensively two years ago. They have a little more Anthony Bonner out there. They're a little older. They're a little creakier. Jordan's taller than this guy, this John Starks fella, future bull. Why not? It just it was it was. It was a ha-ha thing. You could, it was, look at this guy, he's, he's doing it again. He's back to 30 points a game, and of course they're going to win. And it's, well, it's, it was funny. The whole thing was a joke. It was, it was just a goofy thing, and, and, and uh, it, was a, it was a fun little uh, bubble to ride on until uh, Orlando popped it in the middle of May. Uh, one thing I loved about your list of the top 55 Knicks Jordan scored on is there's just, like, so many great links and so many great details buried in this. I had never seen the video of Doc Rivers, ranked number 20 on your list, of him, like, hitting MJ with a flying knee, sort of in the mid-stomach area, MJ crumbling down. On the trade for Herbert Davis, which MJ pulled off in when he was with the Wizards, I think it was 2001, uh, there's a great anecdote that you put in there that as Jordan was, I guess, speaking to reporters about trading Juwan Howard, acquiring Herbert Davis, he's swinging a baseball bat in his office, just like that visual. I never knew, uh, I never knew about that at all. So uh, I think that, you know, while the comeback has gotten a lot of attention lately because uh, we just had the anniversary of it and of this 55-point game. I also wanted to ask you about Ron Harper, who was signed the next season, because I know that you're a big Ron Harper fan. Uh, the Bulls acquired him, what, in... Oh, he was acquired in 94-95, I guess. Yeah, so this, I, I the, the comeback season was his first season. It was just hard to find him in those games. Okay, cool. Yeah, one thing I didn't realize about Ron Harper is that the year before he got to the Bulls, 93, 
93-94 when he was with the Clippers, he still averaged 20 a game. He was only shooting 42% from the field, uh, and I knew he was a big scorer early in his career before the ACL, but... Uh, you know, when you look at his basketball reference page, 93-94 with the Clippers puts up 20 a game. 94-95 with the Bulls just totally changes his game, averages 7 points. Uh, his field goal attempts drop from 17 to 6 a game. But anyone who watched that second three-peat knows how instrumental Ron Harper was. Uh, so I'm curious, like, why do you have such a deep appreciation for Ron Harper? And, uh, you know, what are your, your best memories of Harper as a player for the Bulls on that second three-peat? Well, I mean, all of this has to be personal. I mean, that's that's how we do our best and most fulfilling stuff. And, and for me, the Harper thing is always personal. It was me getting back into basketball and deciding out of nowhere to, like, write about it and become one of these sports writers when I grow up, but also do it my way and not be wearing a polo shirt in Orlando somewhere. And I kind of just lashed on him as this guy that was also kind of turning it around, was also sort of getting back into the swing of things because, like you said, he was a 20-point scorer, but he shot 42%, and as a guard in the 90s, that's like, hey, I used a baseball bat during this game. It was, you just, that was not a thing. And he came to the Bulls, and they used a lot of free agent money on him, and he just did not get the triangle offense. That I do remember from the first part of that season was just him gamely trying to go to where he thinks the spots... You have to remind yourself in the triangle that you're not supposed to go places. You're not supposed to be at this part of the court to set a screen for someone or to accept the ball or something like that. You're supposed to go where the moment sends you, where all the other you know nonsense that Phil Jackson says in the 17 books. And he was not in the moment that year. And he was also out of shape, and his knee was buggered, and he was you know going over the hill at the same time. And toward the end of the, he was basically out of the rotation, save for the the last game before Jordan came back, a game uh, against the Bucks, home game. We talked about it at the site, and Harper hits a couple threes, but he plays great defense, and he's able to, you know, act as the sort of Sean Livingston thing. Like he'll get the ball and he'll dribble it up and he'll pull it up and he'll do the college thing where he'll look around, and, you know, someone come get this, someone come get this, but it works. You know, he wasn't, like, out of his element. And when Jordan came back, the minutes were nil, basically. He played one minute in that Pacer game because we don't need 18 shooting guards out there. And it, you could see Jackson kind of working them in, though. He would work these bigger backcourts in. And B.J. Armstrong is this amazingly efficient player as their point guard. He's, he seems like he would be just the perfect guy for them. He already won three championships with him coming off the bench. He knows the offense. All he does is shoot threes, plays okay defense. And then Jackson is like, no, I just want a million tall guys. This is this is Red Holtzman on acid. It's going to be great. No, everyone trust me. We're going to give up B.J. Armstrong. Let him go to Toronto. The expansion drafts. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, I'm, gonna, I'm cool with Harper. We're going to put Harper in the backcourt with Jordan, which makes no sense right now, but it works, and he was incredible, and when Steve Kerr would come off the bench, I would get angry, not because Harp was my guy, but because we missed, oh, all of a sudden Mookie Blaylock is going to score, all of a sudden Elder Jukazer is going to score, so, you know, it was it was personal, he was defending for our team, and uh, he was fighting, and he was learning on the fly, and he was 
<clears throat> grooving in this offense, but he was still trying to be in the right place, and he was. It was just cool to watch this guy grow at age whatever he was, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget that because that's that's part of this thing that reminds you that it's special is that these are performers that still have to figure out a way to make their way onto the stage, and that's just what I dug about him. He didn't give up. He could have been. Uh, Dennis Hobson, he could have been like all the other ones, and he was like, no, I'm, I'm Hollywood Harper, and soon I'm going to be NBA championship Ron Harper. So I'm sure we'll see plenty of Ron Harper in uh, The Last Dance coming out in a couple weeks. The, the ESPN heard everyone's cries and complaints that it wasn't coming out until June, and they moved it up to April 19th. That's a couple Sundays from now. Uh, obviously, they, they, they're touting all this behind-the-scenes footage, never-before-seen stuff. It's 10 hours. That's all... A lot of stuff. What, what would you? What I guess. What are your expectations for the Last Dance? Is there anything specific you like want to see out of out of this documentary? Any specific stories? Like, what do you, what are you looking for from this Last Dance? This Last Dance thing. Well, I only found out recently it was ninety seven, ninety eight. So that ninety seven, ninety eight was the last year. It was a rough year. Pippen missed half the year because he waited until after his. All-Star game in September, his charity game in September to have foot surgery on a foot he buggered in the playoffs the year before against Miami. Uh, it was a sad, angry team for a little bit. They went out on this West Coast tour. They started 8-7 off the top of my head. Don't, don't, don't correct me on this on Twitter. Just uh, go look at a YouTube somewhere. Look outside. They, they go on this road trip, and Pippen is just... Ran and Raven to Kent McDill, who's the Arlington Heights uh, Daily Herald beat writer back then. He was back when newspaper covered teams and they could afford to send him on the road. And uh, he's just like, write this story about how I want to be traded from the world champion Chicago Bulls, Kent McDill. Write this story. And, and this guy's like, no, man. I'm, what? I'll, I'll Listen, I'll talk to you in Sacramento. And uh, and uh, sure enough, they get to Sacramento and Pittman's like, trade me. Trade me. Write it down. It's on the record. It's totally on the record. So that comes out, then they have this big row on a bus after Tony Kukoc gives up a game winning jumper to Ben Baker, and then they're going somewhere, and Pippen gets drunk on Kuz Light, and the bus and starts yelling at Jerry Krause, because Jerry Krause, for some reason, decides to travel with a team bus for some reason. Why do you need to travel on a team bus? You can't just, ah, and just all these raging insecurities. Where would I be without Jerry Krause? Where would I be without Scottie Pippen? Where would I, all these just things all came out, and it was, it was a very ugly, year for a while, and then after a bit, it just kind of settled down into basketball, and the reason that happened was because Dennis Rodman just kind of reminded everyone why you fell in love with the dude in the first place. He was just, he was, he acted half his age running out there, but without kicking dudes or getting suspended. He averaged, uh, again, don't check the stats on me, but I think uh, 42.8 rebounds per game in the month of December. And it was just, it was great. And then before you knew it, Pippen was back in a random Saturday night game against the Warriors, and Rodman spray-painted 33 into his hair, and then, uh, you know, all was groovy. And so they went to Utah, Utah, and probably should have lost because Steve Kerr could not guard John Stockton to save. I'm going to say have a sip of tea right now because I'm getting upset about it, low these many years later. I was going to ask about Krause uh, because – 
I guess since he's retired, Bulls fans have had John Paxson. So there's an entire generation of Bulls fans that know nothing besides for John Paxson's reign of terror leading the team. But Krause was the guy who was there for decades before, uh, you know, was overseeing two different versions of the dynasty in in terms of the three-peat. So, like, what do you remember about Krause? Like, my memories of Krause as a kid was I remember Jordan calling him Crumb Crumbs. and making fun of his appearance a little bit. But, of course, Krause also identified Pippen. That was, like, his big move, uh, swinging the draft day trade, Olden Polonies for Pippen, Pippen out of Central Arkansas. Uh, Krause, I guess, you know, loved the wingspan and the athleticism of Pippen and uh, Kraus was an awesome GM, I think, for the most part, but I feel like today's generation of fans don't really remember too much about him or what team building was like even back then in the 90s. So just curious, like, what what are your memories of Kraus? And, uh, you know, looking back on it now, how do you think sort of the perception of him has changed a bit, if it has at all? I don't, I don't know if it has much. Uh, I don't think he's quite the villain he appeared when he, uh, when the, when the thing broke up. The first time I do think history has been kind to him uh, in kind of uh, leaving him alone. Well, first of all, how about this? He probably saved Michael Jordan's career uh, in 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 banding forces to be the bad guy with Jerry Reinsdorf, who is terrible and uh, almost moved the White Sox to Fort Lauderdale. Bring that up every podcast. He. He got Jordan to set out most of that second year when Jordan had a Jones fracture, when Jordan was when everyone was afraid he's going to be Bill Walden, and then you know Krause went out and hired a coach and Doug Collins, who we have our issues with, but he also tried everything, and he also was hired because he had the same sort of foot problems that Jordan did, and he was going to be watching this stuff when he's going to have a heart in his hand doing it. He's not going to be you know the next coach trying to Jordan, you know drive Jordan in the dust. So he does what you guys know with Pippen and Horace, and he he blows the Stacey King pick, and he kind of blows this Jeff Sanders pick, but he gets Armstrong's perfect, and he he just does really well. But he's super insecure, and Jordan kills him because Jordan is like, oh, well, you, your claim to fame is you drafted Earl Monroe. Okay, let's look up. Let's see when Earl the Pearl Monroe was drafted. And anyone got an encyclopedia? Okay, look that up. That says, oh, drafted second overall. Okay, Jerry Krause, if you would not have drafted him, he would have gone, what, third? And Pippen knew the teams wanted him in the draft. And, and he also had to be the bad guy in contracts. He kept arguing against – it was always something new with him uh, because – he was the agent for Reinsdorf, so he would be for all these super long contracts. It would be against them. Uh, and he was brilliant, though. And all the hallmarks that we see in the little bulls that keep dragging us along these days, little flashes we see in, like, Denzel Valentine. It's like, what kind of player is that? Now, we can get cynical and mean and nothing's working out and frustrated and go, he's just, we didn't know what he was, and then frustrated. No, but that's what Krauss used to do. He used to just kind of look at this guy and go, he's going to be a ball player. Not not as a, you know, Presti, get the greatest athlete you can, and oh my God, look at how far he can, many thumbtacks he can place on the wall with jumping off his left. No, none of, he wasn't that. It was just, I can't wait to draft this kid and then let him play basketball as he see fit, sees fit at a pro level. Brad Sellers was a perfect and also 
terrible example of this. He drafted Kevin Durant, he thought, at, you know, in the 86 draft. And it turned out Sellers was like, I'd rather be a mayor in Ohio somewhere. And <laughs> that's how he played basketball. But before that, Krauss tried. And look at Horace Grant. Oh, my God. Horace Grant could be so good today. He's so good. Super Udonis Haslam. And, uh, you know, Scottie Pippen is Scottie Pippen, the, the most destructive. He, no player should have more YouTube hits than Scottie Pippen. It should be his, you know, Scottie Pippen's greatest all-defensive tricks, you know, feature that was uploaded in, like, 2009, and then everything else is tied, combined is tied for second. Uh, but he was complicated, and, uh, you know, the time got away from him. And uh, the the lockout hit him pretty bad in '98. He couldn't play, uh, you know, players 42 million a year to play for the Bulls. Uh, but before that, uh, he was a brilliant basketball man whose uh, work I I've tried to champion. Yeah, I know. Just like reading like the MJ biography, what was it? Uh, the role in Lazenby one. I read Blood that last horns. year, and I just like reading the stuff that they did. That they treated Kraus. Like so, just unbelievably shitty. Like the, you mentioned, like the bus rides and like how they would basically like mock him openly. Like that was brutal stuff. But yeah, I mean, nearly yeah, a he, decade before that, even before they had like a the, the Grant Hill things. Anytime where he would be uh, introduced somewhere, just a chorus of boos because it, I guess it was just a thing back then. If if uh, uh, you know if Hawk Harrelson shows up somewhere, you boo him. If, if Jim Fresh, I don't I, I don't know who was running the Cubs in 1988. Whoever brought Vance Law in, you boo that guy. And and that was sort of the thing that everyone hopped on. It was just bully by proxy over and over and over again. And uh, you know that's it, it, it's it's a shame he's still not around to lap some of this up and to tell the tale how he'd, he'd like to. It definitely is. All right, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Currently, no NBA, NHL, or MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, sells hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather. So visit their website, betonline.ig, and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE. It's BetOnline, your online wagering experts. We're uh, back. I got Go ahead, Ricky. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Kelly, about the centers on the Bulls, because there's so many great centers in the 90s. I guess the one defining trait or one of the defining traits of the Bulls Dynasty is that they never had, like, a dominant big man, but they had a lot of, like, pretty interesting, unique, weird big men across the six championships. You had Bill Cartwright with the world's strangest free throw uh, for the first three-peat, and then you had Luke Longley in the second three-peat. You had uh, Bill Wennington going back to the first three-peat. You had Will Perdue. There was a Bison Daylight appearance uh, back in the mid-90s as well. So I'm just curious, Kelly, which one of those was your favorite of the Bulls' weird center contingent during the dynasty years? And uh, sort of, I guess, how would you break all of them down in terms of their, their strengths, their weaknesses, and sort of the role they played on those dynasty Bulls? Uh, I'd forgotten about... You forget about Bison Daylight. He was definitely the most... Uh, for me, he was the most fun... To pay attention to because every one of these games had super that they had the uh, 
sports channel would go in the locker room and you would have podium stuff uh, way before there was podium stuff, which was huge for me because I taped all this stuff. And uh, you got to see how these people handle things. And, and Brian Williams' Bison Daylay was just thoughtful and considerate, and he wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. He was uh, clearly, uh, you know, in inside of the moment, but also humbled by it. And uh, so, yeah, he was a treat. He was he was super slow. He wasn't slow. He was just out of shape as a player. He was super athletic, which was unlike all the rest of the Bulls. You had to – I mean, Luke – I love Luke because all of us play basketball like Luke at one point in our lives, whether we're six years old or 92 years old, or some of us peak playing like Luke. There's It's just – Dish a pass here and there and a jump hook and, uh, you know, maybe a jumper that you usually makes spins in and out. He was a fantastic defensive center. He really worked his tail off. He really had good footwork. He didn't do all the stuff that Phil Jackson wanted him to do, but had he done all the stuff Phil Jackson would have wanted him to do, he would have had 18 fouls per game. He he was – there's a reason they're pals right now in, in spite of all the terrible things Phil Jackson said – in full uh, view of the of the television mics, uh, Wennington was great down the stretch in '95. They're playing Beef Wennington at power forward next to Luke Longley at the same time because it's the '90s, and and he also he could hit a shot and dunk a ball, so it was high percentage either way. He could cut real really well, space the floor, so it worked. All this stuff to work because you had to guard everyone back then. So if you put uh, you know, Clifford Rozier or or Andrew Lang on the court. Like, someone had to guard that person. So suddenly, hey, we have a four-on-four game, and Michael Jordan's out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, before that, the funny thing about 94-95 and the year before is Will Purdue came out of nowhere to have a really good late career. 94-95 and, the, and when he was with the Spurs after the Bulls traded Dennis Rodman for him, he was a double-double machine, weirdly, in San Antonio. He was, like, 34. And, like, out of nowhere, of all the big, stiff centers taken in the middle of the lottery from 80s to whenever, he was, like, the only guy that had a 10-, 12-year career out of that. So I keep going back to why Krause is great. Uh, no, he was dunking and moving and, and doing really well. Uh, he played well enough to be traded for a Hall of Famer. Uh, so, yeah, Doug him and Cartwright was just uh, – not, not exactly straight out. Cartwright really should have, 40% of him should have had to retire in 1988, or excuse me, 89 or 90. Like, they're very lucky that, that he held up and held on uh, with no no minutes restriction, no, uh, he's, they're going to play this brittle-footed center that was a punchline in 1984. We're still going to play him as many games as possible in 1991, 92, 93, 94. He's built. Got to have him out there. Throw the ball to him. Watch him. It's weird how bad he got on offense. He used to be so good. Uh, but who cares? That's He went to the crossroads and, and uh, saw the king of purgatory. And the king said, I'm a queen. And he said, okay, you're going to trade offense for defense. And you're going to win the three championships. And uh, he was great. He moved centers out of position. He got away with a million things. Uh, Hubie Brown said it, uh, like, I read it recently, it's gonna be in somewhere future, the second arrangement thing. But Hubie Brown had nailed it right after the trade, and he's like, he's gonna get you the foul, he's gonna get you the call in the last two minutes of a close game. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what he did for years and years and years after that. So, uh, 
Yeah, he was. Uh, it was a it was a fairly certain center court. I I, I would not uh, you know I would not want anything less than what the Bulls had. Uh, but for what was there, uh, you know, six rings. Uh, so one thing we're doing at SB Nation uh, in two weeks, we're doing a big project on the best teams to never win a championship. Uh, and obviously the Bulls took out a lot of those teams throughout the 90s. So I'm curious, like, which of those teams did you think was the Bulls' biggest challenger, or did you think maybe even was the best overall team throughout the dynasty run? A few that come to mind immediately, 98 Pacers, Hell of a team. Gave the Bulls hell in the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe. Uh, you had the 96 Sonics, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton. Uh, that series got a little dicey for the Bulls, especially when the Sonics decided to put Gary Payton on MJ. They were a great team. The 93 Suns, Barkley, Kevin Johnson, Marley. That was a great team. Also, all those 90s Knicks teams were wonderful. We got the Jazz teams with Stockton and Malone. So, uh, you know, of all the teams the Bulls took down, which of those do you think was the best that never won a championship? Or, you know, just any sort of defining Yeah, that first batch. That first batch was just a bunch of whiny pretenders. Husky idlers, as David Letterman used to say. Uh, they, they, no, the Pacers, come on. Really? <laughs> Uh, Seattle, uh, you know, go go lose to Denver. Seattle, get get, get right out. Phoenix, okay, yeah, go have a go have a chicken finger salad at Marley's after the game. <laughs> no, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks. Oh my God, the Knicks, the Knicks in '92, the Knicks in '93. Whoop the Bulls' ass with that Jordan in '94. The Knicks, the Knicks were gonna be there had they not fought each other in '97. The Knicks, the Knicks beat them really handily in '90. Seattle beat them because Bulls got tired. The Knicks, Knicks were always the bad team. They were the worst. They were the toughest. Uh, the only team that was like, oh, they they probably should lose this series. Uh, not saying I lost hope, but it was like they should lose this series. Was Utah '98? So good hype for the last dance. Utah was so good. And the Bulls were so tired and out of offense, and Jordan's wrist was messed up, and and Kukoc's foot was was shot all year, and uh, so Utah was was the only team. It would technically let's say they're the best team, fine, but God, keep your eye on New York, okay? Just go, just keep your eye on New York. They they're still frightening. <laughs> Yeah, I was was I was watching the, what NBC Chicago had the was it the '96 Knicks team, and obviously they weren't as good then in that whatever '96. And watching those games, and those games were just freaking brawls. They were wild. Um, one thing we asked one of our recent guests, Jack Silverstein, we were talking some '90s Bulls stuff, was which dynasty or which three P he preferred. I guess which one's better, which one you liked more, which one, the first one or the second one, which one would you take? Oh, uh, the second one was such an event. It was so, you know, if you're going to miss out on this, you're just a doofus. <laughs> and as the king of all doofuses, King Doofus could not miss out on this. Second one, the Bulls are probably more aesthetically pleasing in the first one because they're younger and brasher and more fun, and they play crazier defense, and you don't have to worry as much about if they're going to get to 92 points in a game. 82 points in a game by 98. It was the second three-peat, though, where you had, again, the access was just ridiculous. You had Sports Channel devoting hours and hours and hours of it. In the summertime, they had this thing called 100 Games to Glory, where they replayed every game through the summer. So as soon as the White Sox game was over that night, they'd replay for the second time that game 
the Cavs win from earlier that season. So if you missed it, then you'd see it. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was like watching Saturday Night Live in the summer. It was, it was, it was fantastic. And then all the, you know, the nascent, uh, ES, CNNSIs and ESPN Newses with all, all the locker room stuff, all the podium stuff that took a while to get to, to, you know, ubiquity in the modern era was there because everyone was like, yeah, let's hear what this guy in the John Deere hat has to say about Michael Jordan. Let's hear what John Stockton is, and his stupid bangs have to say about Michael <laughs> Jordan. So, I have fond memories of that because those are some Babe Ruth numbers there. Just 72 and 69 and 63, I think they listen. I can't remember all of Babe Ruth's numbers, but, uh, yeah, it's it's the second one. Yeah, I mean, that, I definitely had more uh, just because I was what? My first basically sports memory was basically like the, the 93 packs and hitting that shot and my, like my dad going crazy. So I definitely grew up more with the second one as well, and it was just definitely a lot more special to me. So I totally get that. Let's – Let's switch gears here a little bit and uh, talk about the current Bulls, which is depressing as hell because they're a joke, but they are kind of in the news with uh, all this front office stuff. We can still absolutely rip them, though, because so apparently one of their top candidates, Chad Buchanan of the Pacers, has already dropped out. He's already put, They didn't even get a chance to interview him. He says, I don't want to come to the Bulls, which is hilarious. It probably doesn't really – I don't know if it actually means anything, like if they can still get one of their other guys, whatever. But, yeah, so he drops out, kind of hilarious. And we uh, there's obviously the news that John Paxson is probably still going to be an advisor. That Gar Foran might sit around as a scout. I mean, why? Like, what is the deal with this ownership? I don't, obviously, we've heard so much about how how loyal they are and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is the deal with like this ownership with this management? Why can't they quit John Paxson, Gar Foran? When what do you make of this current? I guess the current rebuild, the current search, Kelly. Uh, because. If you're really super stubborn just in general and, and it, that that that's faced with something that you don't care all that much about, the, the Bulls are not going to outweigh Jerry Reinsdorf's uh, a branch of detail. He's just he's not going to give in, and I'm sure the NBA, speaking as an outsider, is, is just kind of realizing that the Bulls' job is probably one job away. Whatever is going to be the big one that changes thing where you get to get in, in there and and swing your own bat as you trade for Hubert Davis is is probably going to come after whoever goes in there this summer. Um, and yeah, what I, it, we don't know. We don't know. Push comes to shove on a player. Push comes to shove on payroll. How much you're going to be able to spend? It, it's it, it is it still going to go through Paxson? The Bulls won titles. They had Reinsdorf. They had Kraus. They had Clarence Gaines. They had Avika uh, uh, Dukin. And they had Billy McKinney early on, and I'm sure there's one other person I'm forgetting, but it was, you know, kind of an everyone-on-the-bus situation. Now that Jerry is, uh, you know, more and more in Arizona, and, and Paxton is always around and going to try to prove his whatever, yeah, I'd be wary, uh, but it's also one of 30. So I'm going to be excited because any bit of movement helps. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anybody, any of these candidates really excite you? Like, do you think there's any hope for this this Bulls franchise, like if Paxson and former Silverado, like, do you think they're going to be good and not even title contender, just like any even good and not a complete laughing stock anytime soon? Or do you think it's just with this ownership there and with Paxson still around as advisor, it's just hopeless? What do you think? I'm not, I don't think anything's ever hopeless. And I don't think that, you know, bad GMs can run good teams. You can, you can get the first and second or even fourth pick in the draft. I mean, look up and down the Bulls roster every year. It's still an okay team. Now, if you blow it on a once every generationally bad coach in, in Boylan and Hoiberg, 
that's a bit of a problem. But, you know, bad crews can still, you know, do okay. And uh, you, if you can do okay, you can get to the playoffs, and then you can entice someone else to come in and clean your mess or whatever. I've, always, I've never been absent of hope. It's just, you know, I don't think I'm going to watch the rest of this third quarter tonight. Yeah. And, and I think everyone else is, uh, is right there with me in spite of, I'll be honest, all these guys, these big, lengthy, long, you know, even even Arch, all these fellows are lengthy. And uh, that's that's right. You know, we know where Pax gets that from. That's all crops. That's all, oh, let's just interchange all of this, except uh, you got to have a coach for that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I'm assuming you are very pro getting rid of Boylan, because then they're still pushing, like, Casey's been pushing, Johnson's, like, been pushing how, like, ownership and, like, packs, and they, like, they want to, like, the new hire, like, be open-minded about Boylan, which just also goes back to, like, are they, is Paxson going to meddle or not? And we keep getting this reporting about how the ownership loves and packs, and they love Jim Boylan, and they want the new guy to maybe keep him, and just, like, Get this clown out of here. I just don't waste, just try not to waste any energy until it's said and done, until we get the Woj tweet, until we get it all in there, and then you, we can get the follow-up. And then you can use your big bull's brain to, to pick and choose from the sources that you've been conditioned to your entire life. And if we can just wait for that, I know it's the first time in 17 years that any of this has happened, and really that wasn't even a thing. But uh, we're just going to – just stay sane, Chicago, and, uh, you know, go go on YouTube. Uh, stay away from the Joe Rogan part. I got one more question, nostalgia-based question for you, Kelly, and it's actually after the Dynasty years. Uh, I'm curious what you thought of the Baby Bulls teams. I guess they were still called the Baby Bulls. I'm talking like 0405 era when the Bulls finally broke their playoff drought. Uh, they lost that year to the Washington Wizards in what was an awesome six-game first-round series, 2005 playoffs. This is, of course, some peak Kirk Heinrich. We had Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler. We had Lou Aldang. We had Chris Duhon. We had Noach. We had Ben Gordon. Uh, those are the teams that I, I mean, like when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, I guess in 2005 I was 18. Uh, but those are sort of some teams that people have been talking about a little bit more lately. Uh, you know, remembering how awesome Ben Gordon was. He just wrote a great thing maybe like a month or two ago on the Players' Tribune. Uh, always fun to remember back to Curry and Chandler. So, like, what are your memories of that era, and what did you think of those teams? Because looking back on them now, I think, you know, Paxson wishes he could have built this current group into, like, that team, which was homegrown and young and fun and tough and gritty and maybe Paxson wishes that Boylan was Scott Skiles but he's just not nearly as good uh can't even get to the burnout phase that this team eventually hit with Skiles so you know what do, what do you remember of that era of the franchise I uh it's it was an inspirational team let's let's get right down to it. that 04 was when I took the job uh if you call it that took a job at SI's website and I hadn't written for about a year and a half, and I was a bartender, and I had to wear a tie and an apron, and, and this guy got a hold of me, and he said, hey, you want to write about basketball for Sports Illustrated? I remember reading your stuff like three years ago. I'm like, okay. And then so I got to have an SI.com column every Sunday. Where did this come from? And then this team that started, whatever it started, out of nowhere, just won incredible amounts of games in a row, just would not stop winning. And we... I hadn't had that feeling. It was it was just it wasn't two out of five. It wasn't 
oh, that's an imp- oh wow, they beat the Lakers. It wasn't baby baby bowl stuff. It was like wow, this this team is now five hundred. Remember, they didn't start out at five hundred. They started out at zero and nine or whatever. Yep. Oh, as I get older, it's going to get to zero and forty two. I can't remember. But yeah, I got to and I got to uh, uh, write sensibly about that team using per possession stats because all that was coming out thanks to Hollinger and uh, try to sneak those into columns. Got to uh, cover that team on press row when they had a press row uh, down on the floor. Uh, when uh, when uh, Mr. Pargo hit that shot, uh, an overzealous fan in the front row kind of came down on my head from the back, but that's okay because I'm screaming on the inside, but keeping my, you know. It was a fantastic team. It played defense like Matt. It, got, it would get like uh, 27 assists per game, but it would also get like 30 field goals per game, and it would shoot four from four from the line. Uh, but it, they would score just enough to win, and Gordon won some incredible games. And they also had weird. It was it, it was an inspirational team. It did its city proud after uh, after how it'd been uh, you know bashing around for a few years and, and taunted and uh, uh, you know uh, Jay Williams in the street corner and stuff like that. Not a corner, but uh, uh, you know I lived a couple down the blocks from from where that happened when that yeah. happened to Jay Williams, and it was just like ah, it was it was. But this team was something else. It was, it had a spine, and uh, that city's got a spine, and uh, it was it was cool to see them stick it. Yeah, that's a great way to put it because they never won the championship. Similar to the 2011 Bulls, you know, never won a title. But I think that that squad in the 11 Bulls really just resonated with Chicago because they seemed to like reflect the city's ideals or just the way they played the game. Uh, it was just really appealing to the city. Just gritty, tough nosed. And I think that, you know, while the 2011 team, of course, stands the test of time, the 2005 team was really fun, too. So uh, I guess we'll wrap it up here. The second arrangement is the name of Kelly's newsletter. You can subscribe to that on Subsect. Awesome. No one does better 90s and early 2000s nostalgia. And Kelly's been in the game forever. And uh, just the categorical knowledge and the categorical memory of all these forgotten moments from that era of basketball is so much fun to read every week. So uh, make sure you subscribe to that. And, hey, Kelly, thanks for joining us. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And you can find him on Twitter at Hoops. so please go do that as well. Um, yeah, I, I, before I wrap real quick, I was actually at the Wizard, Bulls Wizards. I can't remember what game that was when – Pargo led that huge comeback, and then Arenas hit the game winner. Like that—that that yeah, was one of the most. Me in the head. That was one of the most insane games that I've ever been to as 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 a fan. That was just absolutely incredible. It was a ton of fun. So that was awesome. But yeah, thanks again, Kelly, for coming on. A lot of fun. Great stuff, as always. From you, uh, this has been Cash Considerations. We're brought to you by Blue Wire. Brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go check them out and use our promo code Blue Wire there. Uh, go check out all the other great pods across the Blue Wire network. Even though there's no sports right now, we're bringing content to you the whole time, trying to keep people sane with with the no sports going on. So we're gonna, we're gonna keep on trucking. Uh, and so for us, go rate and review us. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all those places. So it's been Cast Considerations, Jason, Pat, Ricky O'Donnell, and thanks again to our guest Kelly Dwyer. We will talk to you guys next week.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.